Welcome into the All Things Bama podcast powered by BamaCentral.com, your Sports Illustrated home for all Alabama Crimson Tide news and information. I'm your host, Tyler Martin, joined for a very special edition, the NFL Draft edition of the All Things Bama podcast with NFL Draft Bible guru, Rick Saratella. Thank you so much for hopping on here, Rick, man. You know, it, we love this time here in Alabama. Um, it's a time for all of us to, to guys that, you know, have been in the part of the program for four years. They're moving on to professional careers. And, you know, there's not a professional football team in Alabama. So it's like wherever Mac Jones goes, wherever, you know, Devontae Smith goes, they're going to have so many Alabama fans now following them. So this is a really special time of the year for, uh, for especially people down here in the South. Well, thanks for having me, Tyler. And if there is a 33rd franchise, it would be Alabama. So, hey, when you were talking Bama, we're talking big time football. I had to take out the axe, sharpen up the blades and get ready to chop it up with you, brother. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. Um, and first, I guess, really, I think the biggest thing in, and I've, I've got ESPN on here in the background and they're talking about the quarterbacks. So I guess we can go and start there. Where I've got written down. Um you know, there's so much right now, so much rumors going on about the 49ers and why they traded up to number three. And I was kind of looking at y'all's rankings earlier this morning about where you guys have Matt Jones. You guys have Matt five, you know, behind a Trey Lance, behind Justin Fields, who seems to kind of be dropping a little bit. We'll start with Mac. Just kind of, do, do you think that 49ers would be, be a good fit? And is that where you ultimately see him going? I think he is a good fit. And I do think that's where he's going. And the guys out in Vegas are pretty good at what they do. And so before the 49ers trade, Justin Fields was the odds on favor be the third quarterback off the board. And I th think Trevor Lawrence of Clemson will go to the Jaguars. I think Zach Wilson out of BYU will go to the Jets. And so what will the 49ers do? Well, hey, since they've traded up to that number three spot, the odds on Mac Jones have jumped up very mightily in terms of being the odds-on favorite to be the third quarterback off the board. So I do think it is Mac Jones. And when you look, look at the history of a Kyle Shanahan and you take a look at some of the quarterbacks he's worked with in the past, such as a Matt Ryan uh, and, and indi individuals like that, Jimmy Garoppolo, who might not have the greatest arm strength, but they have the football IQ. They have the demeanor. They have the intangibles that uh, – you know, scouts and evaluators like to toss around. And, you know, Mac Jones is as good as it comes when you're talking about someone who can steer the ship, not make a lot of mistakes, be accurate in the short to intermediate passing game, which are all, you know, kind of uh, traits and characteristics that the 49ers offense is predicated around. So for us, yes, Mac Jones is our fifth ranked quarterback because me personally and a lot of other folks on our scouting department don't view him as a franchise quarterback. Well, hey, the 49ers, if they pull the trigger, they've invested, you know, three first round picks and, and felt that was the equity uh, needed to get their franchise signal caller. I don't see him at that kind of stature, but I do think he can have success at the NFL level. And I think he'll do quite well with a quarterback whisperer, such as a Kyle Shanahan. Now, Rick, I, you know, one of the biggest knocks, I, I, it was it was against Tua as well last year to some degree, and, and you're really seeing it against Mac. is kind of – they're getting knocked down a few notches because of the talent around them, right? It's kind of like, okay, well, Mac Jones had Devontae Smith, had Jalen Waddell, uh, had some really good pieces. Uh, Jerry Judy at the end of last year when, when Mac took over for Tua, uh, you're kind of seeing it maybe not by a lot of people, uh, scouts or anything like that, just kind of maybe by a lot of people in the media or maybe – fans things like that 
do you kind of buy into that? Like, you know, that, that Mac Jones is only as good as the players that were around him at Alabama, because I didn't really hear that from Joe Burrow. Right. I mean, when he had, you know, four other guys go around him in the first round last year, I didn't really hear that from Joe Burrow, but to me, it kind of seems like you heard it about Tua as well. You know, all he could do is throw slants, you know, the RPOs. And now with Mac, it's like, okay, he had a Heisman trophy winner in Devontae Smith. Well, guess what? The good news is at the NFL level, they're all talented. They're all top talents and, and, you know, he'll be playing with a similar supporting cast. So, you know, I, I don't buy too much into that. I mean, Hey, it, it's a good thing. If you have talent around you, it's a better thing if you know how to utilize it and maximize it. And, you know, Mac Jones has clearly showed he knows how to do that. And so, you know, I, I, I probably don't put too much stock into that. Yeah. And too, I think one of the reasons why uh, Mac is, has kind of seen his stock rise all the way up to number three with the 49ers is, is because above the neck, and I don't think, hey, we can, we can talk about Justin Fields might be more athletic or, or Trey Lance, you know, might have more of a, an idea of a pro system, things like that. But, but I, I think just above the neck is kind of where Mac Jones, it, it, that's where he's priding himself on in this draft process. He's really smart. Uh, his IQ goes above and beyond. Um, do, you, do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, everything you hear, especially from Coach Saban, he's very cerebral, very smart, instinctual, knows how to get rid of the ball, when to get rid of the ball, knows when to get rid of the ball instead of take a sack, knows when to take a sack instead of throwing an interception. And, you know, those are all very important elements at the next level. You know, Daniel Jones, for example, uh, the, the, the pocket collapses and he folds like a cheap suit. Mac Jones uh, has better awareness, pocket presence, and so – you know, I can understand the allure around a Mac Jones. Also, he sat behind guys that have gone on to the next level, like Tua and Jalen Hurts. Are both, they're both scheduled to be week one starters when we open up here in September. And so I'm sure, you know, just from a process of uh, osmosis, he picked up, you know, how to be a pro, how to conduct yourself, how to be a leader of men, which all those guys are. Let's kind of move on to, to both of the weapons that, that Mac Jones had to throw to last year, <clears throat> one of them being Devontae Smith, the 2020 Heisman Trophy winner. And, you know, so much – I mean, there was a huge knock, obviously, on the weight, right? I mean, 170 pounds, he's really skinny. Uh, that, that, you know, that, that's been the biggest knock on him, right? I mean, that's why a lot of people have him, uh, you know, down, you know, to number two, wide receiver number two behind Jamar Chase. I know that's where you guys have him. Uh, how do you kind of evaluate Devontae Smith and where do you see him ending up? Because, you know, I've seen some mock drafts from maybe some Mel Kuypers or, or some Todd Machays that, that maybe have Jamar Chase and Jalen Waddle going above him. Where do you, Rick, see Devontae Smith falling? Yeah, I mean, personally, I value Waddle higher than Smith. And I get, you know, the fact that he was a Heisman Trophy, uh, incredible production, Yards after catchability, all that stuff. It's great. It's fantastic. It's outstanding. But did we forget that Jalen Waddle was the best wide receiver on the Alabama football team the first four games of the year? And so to me, I, I also do have concerns. Like, I, I feel like Devonta Smith actually escalated the situation more than he needed to because, like, we get down at the senior bowl and there's this big mystery. He doesn't want to tell, tell us how much he weighs. And, like, you know, he just kind of blows off the questions and then – the virtual media day, same deal. Like after like four or five different reporters asked him what he's going to weigh in on. Like he reluctantly finally told us like 170. And yeah, it's a big concern. And he's obviously concerned by it as well because he's trying to cover it up, keep it a secret. And I think if he was just like 
himself and just said, Hey, yo, I'm a football player. You know, if you got questions about my weight, come see me on Sundays type of thing. I would have really respected him a lot more for that process. But again, coach Saban rants and raves about the character, uh, you know, the, the off the field demeanor, you know, first one to show up last one out. So I, I think that, you know, from a football standpoint, you're getting everything you want from a durability uh, concern point of view. You have to be concerned, right? Because now we've got 17 plus games. You see guys like a, a Henry Ruggs and a John Ross who aren't built with the prototypical NFL frame. They get hurt very easily. They show up on the injury report very frequently, whereas Jalen Waddles, you know, a solid frame, a little shorter, but thicker build and maybe can absorb more of those hits on Sundays. So for me personally, Give me Waddle over Devontae Smith. Now, I understand the argument the other way, but I'm just a Waddle guy. And I, I think there's durability concerns with Waddle, too. Like, you have to be concerned with his size and his stature and his injuries this past year. I know he came back for that game at the end, but then he also walked off. You know, it was hampering him, too. So, like, you know, I definitely have my questions. And I, I could see both guys maybe sliding a little bit I don't think they escaped the first round, but because of the depth of the wide receiver class, because of so many quarterbacks going early, you could see one or maybe both of those guys slide down the board a little bit later than folks are kind of anticipating. This is the part of the draft, Rick, <clears throat> excuse me. This is the part of the draft where I think it's going to get very interesting because how do we evaluate guys who opted out? Right. I mean, you've been doing this a long time. I mean, this is really, I mean, this is almost never, I mean, outside of an injury, I mean, there's no reason why guys wouldn't play, right? This is the first year where we guys have purposely, hey, there's nothing wrong. I'm just opting out, right? COVID concerns, whatever. So how do you value a Jamar Chase who opted out and, you know, had, I mean, won the Blitnikoff, unbelievable, spectacular 2019 year with LSU. There's no denying that. But Devontae Smith, you know, looks at it and says, hey, I went out there, I won the Heisman, even when Waddle got hurt, all the attention and all the defense was on me. And I, I still, I, you know, I, I dominated against SEC corners like Derek Stingley, J.C. Horn, and Patrick Sertain in practice every single day. So to you, I mean, how do you think we should view guys like a Devontae Smith versus a Jamar Chase when one played and the other opted out? Well, I think, you know, when you're talking about a blue chip prospect such as Jamar Chase and, you know, person in all of college football this past year had more career catches of 40 yards or more for a touchdown. Jamar Chase had 15. Devonta Smith, I think, had like 16 or 18, you know, so he had a couple more, but he also played a lot more games. And I think that speaks to the kind of player Jamar Chase is. And also when I was at the NFL scouting combine two years ago, I must have asked at least a dozen cornerbacks who's the toughest uh, or a, a dozen cornerbacks. Uh, yes. Who, who's the toughest wide receiver you've had to guard during your career. It was unanimous Jamar chase. And so that's what he did as a 19 year old. And so I can go put on the film. I can watch Jamar chase. I can watch Penny Sewell. I can watch uh, Rashawn Slater. And I know this is a plug and play starter. Like my eyes are not going to deceive me now. Yeah. Is a guy like Stanford's, you know, Paulson and Debo, the cornerback who opted out, I don't know what his situation is. Was it because the Pac-12 was so uncertain? Was the California COVID protocol enough to uh, enough concern for him to opt out? Like, I think each player you have to weigh from a case-by-case -case viewpoint, like the Memphis running back, Kenneth Gainwell, I mean, he lost three family members to COVID. Like, how do you knock a kid for that?
Yeah, no, those, those are definitely valid points, Rick. And kind of going over to, to Waddle, you, I'm glad you brought up this point. And, and for me, you know, covering Alabama, being at every single game in the 2020 season, the first four games, I mean, Jalen Waddle was averaging, I believe, a little over a, a tick shot, a tick higher than 130 yards a game in four games, right? I mean, he was burning DBs in that Georgia. I mean, the play, I, I go to the Alabama-Georgia game, and the play that really turned that game on its head was the 90-yard touchdown pass from from and Jalen Waddle's speed is electrifying. Uh, you know, he's obviously a little bigger than Henry Ruggs, uh, you know, bigger than John Ross. So that's gonna and the speed too. I mean, the speed is phenomenal. Um, but you know, do you kind of see, and I know you mentioned you had him above Devontae Smith, but what are the what, what are the two where are the two places in the draft that you see Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle going? What teams do you see selecting them? Yeah, and I would add too, like Devontae's uh, or Jalen Waddle, they're both so talented. Jalen Waddle also brings, I think, a higher level of punt and kick return ability as well. So you can argue that, you know, he's going to be a four down player at the next level. I, I think, you know, teams that are looking for weapons right there, you know, the, uh, the Giants at 11, the Eagles at 12, uh, th- those are where I think, you know, teams really have to take a good hard look. And I know like the Giants did sign a John Ross and a Kenny Galladay, but man, oh man, could you imagine adding one of those Alabama wide receivers? Cause quite frankly, you know, that's been a big deal for both the Giants and the Eagles who pick after them at 12. Like we saw Carson Wentz struggle mightily and yeah. you know, he had no weapons. And so like, how do you expect Jalen hurts to succeed without any weapons and so like I think I think you see one of those Alabama wide receivers come off the board there at 11 or 12 and then you got to take a look at a team like the Dolphins who have the draft equity right they have multiple picks inside the first round and if you get that opportunity to reunite to a with with a familiar face I I would imagine you know that has to be awfully tempting And, and when you have draft equity it allows you to make some of these more like to me, Jalen Waddle is a luxury pick, right? It's not a, it's not a necessity for your offense, but man, if you can add them, what a luxury to have. No doubt. And that, that's another thing I was going to bring up, you know, a, a reunion in Miami seems ideal, right. For Tua because, and I've said this a lot. I've said this on the radio. I've said this on the podcast. Look at what Stefan Diggs did for Josh Allen. Right. I mean, that was, you needed that one guy to really elevate the QB's game. And I think for Tua, you know, in a situation where he's trying to make a progress, a big leap from year one to year two, he needs that guy. I mean, Tua needs that guy desperately. And I do think the Dolphins are going to pick in one of them. Uh, I also thought, you know, uh, as we kind of stay on offense before we head over to the defense side of the ball, I think Najee Harris, maybe in the later part of the first round, could be a good spot for him in Miami as well. Um, speaking about Najee, uh, I, you know, do you kind of see him as – uh, kind of the best back in this draft class, higher than a, than an ETN. Uh, where, what do you like about Najee's game, and and who are I mean outside of the Dolphins? You know, who are some teams that could really uh, use Najee Harris? Yeah, I, I think you know for me, Najee's my number one running back just because I like his multifaceted skill set, and Etienne's a little bit more of a, a, a slasher in my opinion, and I do think that Etienne is the better pass catcher out of the backfield but I, I think that Najee Harris hands are an underrated aspect of his skill set like his yep. ability to catch the ball out of the backfield is very underrated like I don't hear too many people talking about it anyway but I, I think he's more of a between the tackles bruiser kind of uh, bell cow kind of guy but don't get it twisted like he's got some wiggle to him like he can make some missed tackles happen in the open field and so 
you know, I think just like any other running back in this year's draft class, like you need to polish up some blocking ability there. But to me, Najee Harris is the number one guy. And it's like, I think the Steelers at 22, I just keep thinking like throwback Steelers, ground and pound, you know, bell cow. They've kind of, you know, lost that element of their game. Like, you know, they didn't want to pay Le'Veon Bell the big money, but they never actually replaced Le'Veon Bell, in my opinion. And I know James Conner is a free agent who I believe is visiting Arizona, which I guess, you know, if they're looking at James Conner, well, heck, if they don't sign a James Conner, you, you wonder if the Cardinals uh, have interest in a, in a Najee Harris. Cause I, I believe Kenyon Drake uh, was kind of departed there during free agency. And Hey, while we're talking about Cardinals, just because I'm here in New Jersey and Fordham's right up the road, it's Chase Edmonds birthday. So big shout out to Mr. Yeah. Edmonds. Yeah, no, Kenyon Drake uh, is, is out there in Las Vegas now, uh, teaming back up with Josh Jacobs. So that's exciting. Alabama's uh, got a duo out there in Vegas and Sin City. <clears throat> but so with Najee Harris, you know, I, I, you mentioned the receiving part of it. And I think this is very under, underrated part of his game as well. And he even got really offended at this when he was on uh, Adam Schefter's podcast. I don't know if you saw this, Rick. Um, I did not. So he, me. So he was reading – so Shefty was reading Todd McShay's, like, uh, evaluation about him right and he was like well we don't really know about his hands and all this when you go back and look at it the SC championship game against Florida he had like three receiving touchdowns um, and they lined him up in the slot they lined him up out wide he caught it out of the backfield he kind of did it all right and so basically Shefty was reading this to him and then Najee goes well you can tell Todd to kiss my ass <laughs> and that's that's who Najee is Najee speaks his mind and Najee yeah. basically went in to say like hey like you can't really knock me for that because my freshman and sophomore year, I was behind guys like Damian Harris. I was behind Josh Jacobs. I was behind some guys who were, who were tearing it up right now in the NFL. So you can't really knock me because I didn't have the opportunity to play because I was behind really good guys. And I, I think, you know, when people think of great Alabama running backs, right, Derrick Henry, Mark Ingram, the two Heisman Trophy winner come to mind. But people, people kind of forget this past year. Najee Harris set the all-time rushing record for Alabama now. So he's, he's number one in the Crimson Tide record books right now. And I think uh, that's going to go a long way. And I, I, I just think he's the most complete all-around running back in this one too. And I, I think, man, you pair him up with Tua, the Steelers would be a good fit. I think Buffalo would be another good fit as well. They kind of need the running game. They need to fix the offensive line too. But, but those are kind of some spots where I have them too. Uh, lastly on the offense, I know I mentioned Najee, but I want to talk about the offensive line. There's just so many prospects, right, for Val. Yeah, um, indeed. Landon Dickerson, you mentioned the Steelers. I always thought the Steelers would be a good fit for Landon Dickerson. He's got that grittiness, got that toughness. I mean, shoot, the guy was out. He was wanting to play on a freaking torn ACL. Uh, yeah. Alex Leatherwood, do you kind of view those uh, players as, as maybe early second-round picks, or where do you guys kind of mock them at? Because I think Dickerson can go anywhere from, uh, you know, latter half of the first round to, to maybe high second round. I think it's maybe his ceiling. But, uh, you know, a team, I know if they're worried about the concern with the ACL, I mean, he's and he's a monster, man. He's, he's very durable, uh, very, you know, he, he wants he, – he, there's nothing that's going to keep him from being on the football field week in, week out, really, outside of, you know, somebody, a doctor telling you, hey, you need to stop playing. But, yeah, where do you kind of see those two guys, Leatherwood and Dickerson? Yeah, and there is a lot of love for Dickerson in the scouting community. I've been told he's, he's a top 50 lock. And so, you know, if he doesn't go in the round one, you know, it's probably because of the lingering injury concerns, but you saw him come back. I mean, kudos to that young man for the toughness, the grittiness, and who, who, who doesn't like an interior offensive lineman that plays with a chip? I think the versatility, versatility aspect, the fact that you can probably play him at three different positions uh, also bodes well for his draft stock. So the versatility 
is going to be a bonus there. And I don't know a team that he doesn't fit, right? Like who, who wouldn't want a guy like that on their roster and, you know, Leatherwood, I mean, I think some people are still uh, determining like, if they like him outside or inside, I, I could kind of see that um, to me personally, I'd try him outside. I'd probably start him at right tackle. I think he has the adequate size, the arms offhand, I think checked off the boxes. So to me, like Leatherwood is a guy that you start off at tackle. And if you got to kick him inside, like I wouldn't even rule out center. I mean, you've seen that transition now from a lot of players from the collegiate level to the pros going from tackle to center. I think he could be a candidate to do that down the road. But for me, Leatherwood, I think he's a day two prospect. He's he's somewhere in that top hundred, probably mid to late second, uh, if not early third round. But I think he's, he definitely lands inside the top 100. It's just a matter of where teams view him. Yeah, and Deontay Brown, too, he's another interesting prospect. You know, he's lost 20 pounds, maybe even more now, but 20 pounds since the senior bowl. And, I mean, he's a bruiser, right? I mean, he's just an absolute mammoth of a human being. Uh, You know, he's a guy that I think could go day two as well. Um, You know, he – do you – I mean, you you guys have him pretty low on your your list at 12. Um, Yeah. Personally, do you you see him there as the 12th best guard, or or do you kind of rank him a little higher in your, your estimate? Well, you know, I think anytime you're investing millions of dollars, like, you know, I say this all the time, I'm not investing in the player, I'm investing in the person, right? They're all talented once you get to the NFL. Yeah, he's talented. He's a plug and play guy. But am I getting the Deontay Brown who weighed 368? Or am I getting the Deontay Brown who weighed 338? Because what he showed up to at the senior bowl was just unacceptable and unnecessary. And really, like, it, it, it speaks volumes as to where his work ethic was. Okay, so now he got a fire lit underneath him and dropped some weight to impress the scouts. But I don't know, like, wh- where was that motivation prior to this opportunity? So, like, yeah, you know, wh- which, which guy am I getting? Like, do I have to put – I think any team who drafts Deontay Brown now has to put a weight clause in his contract. And that, and that to me, is enough. Like, I'm not thinking about guys like that until day three. Got you, got you. Yeah, you know, even at Alabama, I mean, you can get away with it, right? He was able to get away with, with weighing, I mean, just, you know, an absurd amount of pounds, right? But, uh, two, I mean, once you get him in that structure, I, I think I think cornbread, that's what that's what uh, he's known in Tuscaloosa as. I think, well, I think once he gets that structure, you know, it, it's going to be a little different for him. And, obviously, the new strength and conditioning staff at Alabama, they're, they're big on the sports science, things like that. They're kind of getting them on the right track. Um, so you've got him as a day three prospect. Now I think now that we've covered all the offensive prospects, we can hit over on the defensive side of the football now, Rick. And um, let's start with let's start with the middle, right? Christian Barmore, defensive lineman, nose tackle. Um, this is a very weak uh, defensive line class, right? I mean, it, it, I think that's the kind of the knock on this group. Um, and, and Barmore and then the kid from UCLA, those two guys really stand out in my, in my mind. Uh, Barmore, do you see him kind of slipping into that first round? Because the Bucks have been a very popular team with him at, at 32. Oh, he'll be long gone by then. I mean, you're talking about the premier defensive tackle in the draft class. Yeah. And so, you know, he, he's the consensus. And there's a pretty big drop-off after that. Listen, uh, defensive tackles do not grow on, on trees. And so, you know, never mind the first round, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes in the top 10. And, you know, whether that's a team currently sitting inside the top 10 or a team that trades up to get him, 
because while the talent might not say, hey, he's a top 10, you know, franchise blue chip cornerstone type of prospect, you know, some teams believe in drafting the best player available. Other teams believe in addressing needs and filling those needs. And if you're a contending team and you're a piece or two away from, you know, kind of getting over the hump, especially on the defensive side of the ball, well, if you wait, you're not going to have a Christian Barmore available to you. So I, I actually think he's in the top half of the first round and a play that is going to go higher than the media. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've seen him. I've seen him mocked in that, that top 15, top 16 range as well too. And by a lot of places I was, I mean, you know, it's, it's such a vital position, right? I mean, the, I, I bring up the bucks, right. They're going to need a replacement from Sue, but, but also too, I mean, you look at their formula for winning a super bowl. It was defense, right. It was getting to the quarterback. It was pressure up the middle. Yeah. yeah. And, and Barmore is, is that guy. And uh, you know, he had a, I mean, I say he had a quiet Alabama career, uh, you know, he declared early, obviously, but but he was one of those guys that when he got in here, right, he kind of needed to, some time to kind of sit on the bench a little bit, kind of watch some younger or some older players, learn from them. And then you saw it in the Ohio State game. He just showed – I mean, he was the defensive MVP in that game, and that's when he, he made his money that night in Miami. There's no doubt about that, and there was no need for him to come back. Um, but then, too, let's kick it outside to the corner. Pat Sertain, uh, Pat Sertain, Caleb Farley, it's a big debate, I know. Um, I'm personally hoping, Rick, that my Cowboys get Patrick at uh, at number 10. I hope they don't trade back. Uh, I really want to see Trayvon Diggs and Sertain uh, line up together uh, together once again. Uh, kind of what's your analysis on Sertain? And two, do you think he's got the – I mean, you, from all estimates right now, we had a story up on our side a week ago talking about how right now he's probably a better draft prospect than his all-pro father was at the same time. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I I could probably get on board with that. And, you know, he's got the length, he's got the size, he's got the physicality. I love, you know, his man coverage ability, the resume. And you mentioned Caleb Farley. I, I would throw J.C. Horn from South Carolina into the mix there as well. I think he, he both J.C. Horn and Patrick Sertain II will be in consideration for the Cowboys. Caleb Farley, I don't know, I could be wrong. Maybe not so much with the back procedure he just recently had. The back's a tricky deal because you could take a million x-rays and you're not going to find anything. You're not really going to know what's going on there. And so the fact that it just happened a couple of weeks ago, I know he had his medical recheck and he's been cleared Caleb Farley, but I still think, you know, it, it sits uneasy with me. So I'd imagine it has to sit uneasy with other teams and, you know, rule of thumb, the back is something you kind of stay away from. So I think Patrick Sertain, the second is very much in the mix to be the first cornerback off the board. Um, you know, they just they just don't make too many guys uh, with this kind of resume, this kind of size, this kind of movement. And, you know, again, Coach Saban vouches for him, and that means a lot to some of the coaches in the NFL. So to me, yes, yeah, Sertain, J.C. Horn, Dallas Cowboys, don't rule out a linebacker. I know it, does, it might not necessarily be the biggest need for the Cowboys, but Jamin Davis, Zavin Collins, the linebackers from Kentucky and Tulsa, are two other rumored candidates for the Cowboys at 10. Yeah, you know, speaking of just SEC prod, uh, prospects, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Davis from Kentucky. Uh, when he played, when he, they played, Kentucky played against Alabama this year. He was, you know, I mean, Alabama won 62 to three. I, I get it, right? I mean, unless you're just a football crazy guy, you, you know, look at kind of go back and watch kind of the details of that game. He was everywhere for the Wildcats on defense. He's going to be a solid player. Uh, so, Sertain on the outside, a guy that, though, speaking of the linebackers, Rick, Dylan Moses, 
Yeah. He revealed that he played, you know, last year uh, with a torn meniscus. He was coming off of the torn ACL. And that really affected just covering the team. I mean, that affected his mental state. And I know that, you know, he didn't – and, and just from speaking with fans, too, he didn't really live up to a lot of the expectations, right, as a guy who should have – I mean, a guy who was expected to be in the running for the Buckus Award, things like that. It didn't happen that way, right, um, out in his defense in key moments, right? You look at the old Miss game with a tight end like Kenny Yaboa. I mean, Dylan looked lost. You know, you look against Kyle Pitts. He looked lost. Uh, so, you know, Dylan Moses now, I mean, he, he, I mean had, but had he not torn his ACL – he probably would have been a surefire top ten pick, right? Um, but what do you what do you think of his game and and kind of where do you guys evaluate him at NFL Draft Bible? Yeah, and you know the injury makes sense now because to your point, it's like you know we're watching the film, we're saying, hey, what happened? Like this is not the guy we saw pre-injury, and so it makes sense now that he was playing through an injury. But again, I think it does impact and affect his draft stock because. You know, typically, and it's a much smaller draft pool, like draft eligible players is probably cut in half. It's traditionally about 1,200 guys. This year, it's about 600 guys. But I still think players like that with the injury concern are kind of, you start thinking about on round four. It's like, okay, well, hey, we can start rolling the dice, playing that risk reward kind of situation because, heck, before the injury, this guy was running in the four fours. He had damn near close to a 40-inch vertical. I'm pretty sure he was on the Bruce Feldman freaks list a couple of years ago. Yeah. So, you know, when you take a look at, for example, the, the the Penn State defensive end, Jason Owa, that everybody's enormous about and had zero sacks, and they're saying, hey, well, he might be the first edge rusher off the board. Well, they're betting on the upside. They're betting on the athleticism. They're betting on those uh, characteristics and traits that – you know, not everybody is born with either you're born with it or you're not. Dylan Moses was born and blessed with, you know, phenomenal athletic traits. And so there's going to be a team, there's going to be a coach, there's going to be a staff that says, Hey, I see something here. Let me work with this guy. And so I do think like, Hey, probably round four, he's, he comes off the board, but I, I would imagine he's a guy you probably want to red shirt, just, just red shirt. him. like, he's got incredible talent let him get healthy, let him get with an NFL strength and conditioning coach. And I would, I would almost view Dylan Moses as a 2022 draft pick. Like he's part of our 2022 class. And I think if you have, again, like if you're the Dolphins and you have the draft equity to, to, to kind of, you know, the luxury to, to just, you know, expendable draft picks here, Dylan Moses is a guy that's going to be appealing. So I, one, I mean, one of the big things that everybody talks about here, you know, Nick Saban, he's accomplished pretty much everything there is to accomplish. And, and I mean, especially when you look at uh, getting guys to the NFL and producing first-round picks at an all-time level. One thing that I think that, that would be another, you know, feather in his cap is if they were able to tie Miami and get six guys in the first round. Do you think that's possible this year, Rick? I wouldn't put it past them. I think I had six or seven in the top 100. Now the first round that might be tough to do, but you know, Mac Jones. Okay. Najee Harris. Okay. Devonta and Waddle. Okay. There's four, there's four right there. Barmore, Barmore, there's five and certain. So yeah, I guess I can see six. There you go. I, I, I would, I would say which of those six isn't going in the first round. Right. Yeah, and I think the one you kind of look at and say maybe not is, is Najee Harris, right? Because maybe how do, you, yeah. how, do you, how do you value the running back position too? I mean, you know, we're seeing now teams, I mean, they're trying to find running backs on the cheap, right? I mean, because once you pay them, 
I mean, Zeke's kind of gone down a little bit in production. I mean, Christian McCaffrey's dealing with some injuries after his big contract. Uh, you know, Saquon was trying to get a big deal. He's been dealing with some injuries. So uh, I think Najee, out of those six players, to me, I think Najee would is the one most like. I mean, out of that group, most likely to end up in the second round. But but again, you know, like I said, Nick Saban's accomplished so much, and I think getting getting six would be just. I mean, wow. I mean, that's probably one of the final feats he's he's got to get as a coach. Yeah, and you know, you could probably state the argument though for one of the offensive linemen that we discussed. Like you can argue that, hey, maybe one of those guys get bumped up into the first round. So I still think six is is a realistic and 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 doable number. But you're right. I mean, the running back is it is it a possibility we see zero running backs? I think it's a possibility, but I also think there's enough contending teams that are just looking for that. You mentioned the Bills, like I could see the Seahawks and you know, even though the Bucks brought back Leonard Fournette, I think that's a one-year deal. Like, you know, hey, we just won the Super Bowl. Like, hey, why not add a Nachi Harris? Like, you know, I mean, I mean, the 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 defensive coordinators around the league would just be smashing their fists on the tables, right? So I do think that there's gonna be a contending team like Pittsburgh, even if you don't value running backs in the first round, sometimes the fit where fit need, you know, meets need. To me, that that would just be like a perfect marriage because Big Ben's on the back nine. He's not in the point of his career where he's carrying that offense. And you add a guy like Najee Harris who can touch the ball 20, 25 times, you're, you're really alleviating a lot of pressure off of Big Ben there. All right, my last question for you, Rick. Uh, when you kind of look long, long projection, long term, and I know it all kind of de- depends on fit and where these guys actually end up. Which of the Alabama players in this year's uh, draft do you think is going to have the best career? It's a tough question, isn't it, right? Like half a dozen guys might go in round one. I think at the end of the day, the guy that is probably, you know, I, I want to say that making the most trips to Honolulu, but it, I, I don't know, is it in Orlando now? Do they even have the Pro Bowl anymore? Does anybody care pay attention? Yeah, but, it's Orlando, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the guy that probably has a lot of appearances to Orlando in his future to me is Jalen Waddell. Cause again, I just think he can change the game from a special team standpoint and impact the, the, the game from a wide receiver slot weapon point of view, but also from a special teams standpoint. Although, you know, Najee Harris, you're right. People forget like this has been running back you like this is Alabama has been RBU. The fact that he's the all time leading Alabama rusher, that's, pretty impressive and i think he's going to go on and have continued success at the next level so to me it's waddle but Najee harris is a very close second all right rick kind of tell us as we wrap this up where we can find nfl draft bible where can we find your stuff where can we find your teams uh resources and uh how you guys are gearing up for for the draft in two weeks no i appreciate that we're uh we're gearing up by providing live draft coverage we're streaming i think 60 hours of live coverage throughout three or four days of the draft we'll be competing neck and neck with nfl network espn so if you're tired of the mainstream media fluff if you want real in-depth analysis if you want uh scouts who can talk about prospects adequately selected on day three and have followed their career and can speak intelligently on it well hey We've got you covered. We'll be streaming live on NFLDraftBible.com. You can also go find us on Twitch. If you didn't get the NFL Draft Bible publication, it's too late for the hard copy. We sold out. You can still get the PDF. To do that, you got to go to AllAccessFootball.com. You can download the PDF. We've already turned the page to 2022. 
if you go all access, you instantly gain hundreds of scouting reports for 2022 and beyond. So we're knee deep into that process. And then the best way to find everything we do is on Twitter at NFL draft Bible. We post anything and everything up over there. So I definitely appreciate the plug. Appreciate all the love. Appreciate being on. This is my Bama central debut, I believe. So I appreciate you opening me up to a whole nother audience here who may not have known about the NFL draft Bible. So thank you. Of course. And then, and then obviously si.com slash draft too. You guys have got tons of rankings, mock drafts, things like that. I mean, shoot, you guys have got like a team of what, 15 people or so. Like uh, we're, we're, we're up to 50 now around the globe. So <laughs> I underestimated my bad, bro. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and the best way to, you know, just go to the, uh, it's si.com backslash NFL backslash draft, or you just type in NFL draft Bible.com. There's, there's more than one way to get there, but go to the headquarters page. Again, as Tyler mentioned, you got the rankings, you got the scouting reports, like hundreds. We got 15,000 players in our draft database for 2022 and beyond. It's all up there on the website. Awesome. Well, that's Rick Saratella from NFL Draft Bible. I'm Tyler Martin with Bama Central, and this has been another edition of the All Things Bama Podcast. Thank you for listening.